should go for goal. We deflected Hayward here. Could be a lovely goal for Villa. Johnson, it is! Back Elsie Johnson. It could be nine. Open of the body. It's in an end! Superb goal from Melissa Johnson. Steps up and finds the corner! She gets the goal! They arrived as Aztecs, an Aston Villa women podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Hello and welcome back to They Arrived as Aztecs podcast. This is episode six of this season, I believe, which in essence is a real shame. Um, firstly, we'd like to apologise for a lack of women's game podcast content over the past season. But with the consistent rearrangement and postponement of fixtures throughout the season, as well as myself starting a new job, finding the time to record has been quite hard. Um, but anyway, I'm Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined once again by our incredible contributor, Georgia. Hello. Thanks, Regan. Yeah, you're right. It's good to be back after a bit of a break. Um, it's nice to look back at a season as well now and just chat about everything that's gone on and also we can look to the future a bit now Um, I think I speak for all of us at Under a Gaslit Lamp when we say a huge congratulations to the club the team, the players, everyone involved it was a really difficult job but um, yeah let's jump into it Yeah absolutely it was a difficult job but thankfully they've, uh, (laughs) they've managed to turn it into a success of sorts um but yeah Villa women came into the final five games of this season with three of those games coming up against relegation rivals in the form of Bristol City Birmingham City and West Ham United twice surprisingly Aston Villa would then go from losing 8-0 to Manchester City in the fourth round of the FA Women's Cup to drawing 0-0 with West Ham United just three days later It was a great result against a fellow bottom side after such a drubbing from a top side. Did you initially think that the fixture list favoured the result that we all wanted, i.e. Villa staying up? You know, the club's destiny was in the players' hands and with four fixtures against relegation rivals, you know, they would only have themselves to blame if, if they were to go down, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's one way of looking at it. You know, it, it's tough if everyone's fighting for the same thing. We've all got that desperation to survive. Um, but it also gave us the best opportunity to turn our season around. Um, you know, there's there's a lot at stake with us not only trying to gain points, but also take them off the other teams around us. Um, so it almost became like a little mini tournament for survival for us at the end. Um so yeah, it was nice, like you said, putting the the destiny in our hands, which is which is a nice way of looking at it. Um, and I think anything's a bit of a relief compared to playing the giants like Manchester City. And I still don't know why they put out such a strong team against us in the FA Cup game. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it was nice to have a sort of run of games that we could look at and think, yeah, actually we we should be taking some points here. Um, what about you? How did you feel about it all towards the end? Yeah, I think, you know, um, initially I was glad that we didn't have the likes of, you know, Manchester City women who have drubbed us on numerous occasions this mm. this season. Um, and, and, you know, you, you did mention, you don't know why they put out such a strong side, but it, it, with a club like that in the women's game, you know, any side that they, they 
put out is going to be stronger than Aston Villa women, um, just because they've had time in the top flight, um, experience in the top flight, and, and they've they're they're a more I guess progressive club in the women's game as as much as we like to think that Aston Villa women are, are a real like progressive women's club that they are, but there are teams ahead of us like like Chelsea and and Manchester City. Um, and you know they've had huge investment in them, uh, but I, I I am glad that we managed to avoid the vast majority of the top teams in the uh, final five games of the season. Obviously coming up against Arsenal on the final day, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was very much a case of do or die for the players. You know, if they didn't get the results, then then they'd go down. Uh, and it was very similar for the men's side last season. Uh, and you know, with the men's side last season, luckily they were able to to pick up some real important points on the way to the end of the season. Yeah, there's so many parallels, and I just can't believe we had to go through the same thing again. <laughs> you know, um, I thought it was sort of behind us for for the men's, and then you just turn to the women's. If you support both, we just went through such a similar thing. Um, but hopefully, those parallels will continue, um, and we'll sort of have a boring season next season. Um, finish about mid table. Yeah, I was gonna say if we're if we're fighting for the you know the top half in the uh, WSL next season, then there's something seriously going on with Villa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so following the nil nil draw against West Ham, uh, Aston Villa women were dealt a blow just four days later as they scuppered what would have been a huge three points against bottom side Bristol City women. They were edging closer to leapfrogging Villa on the league table. And and in this game, you know, Aston Villa led by two goals by the 35th minute, thanks to an own goal from Megan Sargent and Nat Haig's first professional goal. You know, at, at this point, did you feel like the game was beyond Bristol City? Did you think, you know, we're comfortable here? And, and you know, at this point, at half-time, um, that result could have quite easily confirmed Villa's safety. Yeah, you're right. Um, it would have been lovely to to sort of widen that gap between us and Bristol City. And as much as I think both you and I have thought from about halfway through the season that Bristol City were going to be the ones to drop, um, I just couldn't really relax in that game. Even two goals up, um, you know, they were just as desperate as us to stay up and they had nothing to lose. So they threw everything at us and Personally, I wasn't a big fan of the way that we were seeing games out under the new management. Um, and we'll probably talk about that a bit more when we get onto the Blues game in a minute as a similar thing happened. Um, but, you know, we shouldn't be dropping points from 2-0 up, especially against Bristol City. Um, you know, so, yeah, I kind of, part of me did see it coming um, as much as I didn't want it to. And it was still a disappointment. Um, but yeah, we sort of know as villains not to fully relax. <laughs> yeah, it's always the case. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, Bristol would grab a goal back in the 74th minute before finally equalising in the fifth minute of added time, which was a hammer blow for the villains. Um, and, and as you said, yeah, it was similar just four days after that. It was the second City derby, you know, an all-important game for two reasons, the ongoing relegation battle and the local rivalry. Yeah, really nice to take something back off them after our defeat in the reverse fixture. Um, I think that one was quite a big deal on Twitter. There was a video of the the 
Birmingham City women doing a knee slide uh, at Villa Park. So, yeah, a lot of unhappy fans about that one. So it was a big game to uh, try and get something back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, it was a bit of a weird one, that whole Twitter debacle. Um then posting Birmingham is blue after their women's side had had beaten Villa for the first time. I don't know when the last time they played before uh, played each other was I before. Don't think we played them in the league, had we? I'm not sure. No, I think there might have been a Conti Cup game or, or a friendly, but you know, um, it's a bit of a an, a weird take when your men's side hasn't beat you know Villa's men's side in such a long time, and then they're posting that. Um, you know, surely you look at the fact that Villa went unbeaten in the in the women's championship, and the men's side are in a higher league, and then you go, okay, yeah, Birmingham quite obviously isn't blue. Yeah, they knew what they were doing, didn't they? But um, yeah, maybe we let them have that one. It's uh, been a long time since they've they've had a Birmingham is blue <laughs> opportunity. So yeah, it was definitely bait. Um, but yes, so in this game, youngster Freya Gregory would open the scoring in the 28th minute with her first ever goal for Aston Villa women. Now, she's a player that has come through the regional talent centre ranks. And that, you know, how big of a goal was that for, for a player that has, has come through the youth system at Aston Villa women? It's great to see homegrown players thrive, and especially against local rivals. And it was clear to see what the goal meant to Gregory. Yeah, she's got the passion, hasn't she? And I think that's sort of not something we've been missing recently, but she's got that energy um, and, and that just spark that we needed. You know, we were a team that had been suffering for, for a while throughout the league and, and I'm sure it sort of does affect morale, um, even not in an obvious way. But yeah, she just was a breath of fresh air to watch. You know, she was so determined. She was so... Um, you know, pressuring the, the Blues players up top. And um, yeah, I was so glad when she got that goal. Um, I saw it, it hit in, it hit the bar first of all, didn't it? And she got it on the rebound. Um, I just thought, oh God, you know, and it hit the bar and you just think it's going to be one of them games. But <laughs> she, she was right there to get it in. Um, and there's a wonderful picture of her, like just screaming with joy um, and a blues player with their head in their hands in the background and um, yeah I might be using that one in the future um, but yeah it was, it was lovely to see and I'm excited for her and what she can do in the future for us. Yeah absolutely we've we have seen you know uh, Gregory and is it is it McLaughlin um, I think um, if if it's not, I will correct myself later on. But we've seen one or two players come through the RTC um, this this year and, and sign professional contracts with the club, which is, of course is is absolutely great to see. After we've seen the likes of you know Asmita Rail and uh, Jodie Hutton sign their professional contracts, especially while we were in, still in the Championship. Um, but once again, in this game, it was a late goal that would be Aston Villa's downfall. It looked like Marcus Bignot's side was set for three points until Vitriki Sarri equalised for the Blues in the 96th minute. You know, firstly, I don't know what it's what's with the added time in the Women's Super League, but it seems like every game goes to the 96th minute, whether it's, you know, the quality of officiating, whether it's um, 
the level of like treatment and physios that are just taking a bit longer when someone takes a knock. I don't know what it is, but every game goes to the 96th minute. Painful, isn't it? Especially when you support a team like Villa and a one-goal lead is just the most time consuming thing ever 10 minutes feels like 30 <laughs> so yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely and you know after the game it was made clear that um so blue scored from a free kick um like indirect swung into the box um and you know headed into the back of the net but it was made clear that the free kick in the build up to the goal was a questionable decision in the first place um by both Eniola Aluko and uh Marcus Bignot and then uh they, they revealed that the the set piece was actually taken from the wrong position it was taken from like a deeper position that made it easier to get like the movement on the ball that the player was looking for so obviously that's that's running in the first instance and then the late goal obviously just is another hammer blow um did you think that this streak of conceding late rather than early like earlier in the season was going to be a potential thorn in the side for Villa's hopes of staying up yeah definitely and an even more painful one to be honest because we talked earlier um earlier in the season about our pattern of conceding early um and it just seemed to swap to letting in late goals so um, yeah really difficult ones to take um, and again just to touch on the game management we seem to be playing into the corner with about 10 minutes to go um, loads of injury time again like you mentioned and we just seem to be more vulnerable in those final moments of games I don't know whether it was like panic um, you know just the the plan sort of gone out the window a bit not pushing for another goal um, but yeah, disappointing. And, and I was worried that, you know, all the hard work from those couple of games, the Blues game and the Bristol game, would just be out the window with, with just a few moments to ruin it. Um, so, yeah, scary times, to be fair. Yeah, obviously, if we if, if they'd have seen both of those games out, they'd have been well clear of any relegation battle on the final day um, and, and would have probably finished like ninth eighth even I, I don't I can't remember what the table looks like but um, you know those six points would have been huge if they'd have been able to hang on to them after the Blues game Villa then hosted West Ham United for the return fixture which is incredibly odd to have to it's a bit like the uh, the men playing Everton twice in two weeks um, yeah. just because of the postponements uh, and that game also ended in a nil-nil draw despite a huge 38 shots 12 of which were on target across both teams. Um, you know, and, and that result for West Ham meant that they had dragged themselves out of the relegation battle and had just left Bristol and Villa involved. Or so we thought. Uh, that was until Birmingham City were deducted a point for fielding a player who had, I believe, received a ban um, and then was... Res- and as a result, found themselves also involved in the battle ahead of the final day. You know, it was good news to hear that there was another potential relegation candidate in the final battle, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, I didn't think Blues had much chance of going down even after they lost that point, got the points deduction. Um, it would have relied on a lot of factors, you know, Tottenham to um, beat Blues, uh, Bristol to beat Brighton, and then us to take a point from Arsenal. Um, but in the end, it actually wasn't that far off. Two of those things came true. So they're, they're quite lucky in the end. And I think we, we came above them in the table. So, yeah, it worked out quite well for us in the end. 
Um, but yeah, it was an added extra layer of chaos to the day and another game for us to keep an eye on. And it did just give you that bit of hope, I suppose, even though for them to go down, it'd still require us to do a lot of work. Um, yeah, I suppose it just made it more exciting, didn't it? Um, I think the right team went down in the end. Um, Birmingham City, they've had a lot of off-pitch drama this season, I suppose you could call it. Um, and I don't think it would have reflected um, rightly on the players if they were the ones to go down. But, um, you know, it's always nice to come above them in the league, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. They they have had a lot of trouble like you said, uh, off the pitch. I, and I, I don't believe they're getting the, the funding or investment or treatment that they, they quite obviously deserve. But I remember um, towards the end of last season and during the summer, I wrote two articles about how important it was for to Villa for Villa to become kind of the the hub for women's football in the West Midlands. For so long, it has been Birmingham City women. Um and, you know, I had Birmingham City Women fans kind of commenting on the blog saying, you know, it's going to take you much longer than your first year in the WSL. And, you know, uh, all your players are our cast-offs with like Shania Hales and Emma Follis, even though, even, even though you know, they've both played for Villa before they even joined Blues. Um, and, you know, it took us our first season to actually finish above them. So that's always a positive. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think we're going to be the attractive team to potentially join as a new player looking to join the Super League you know if they're looking for Midlands football um, Birmingham City isn't a super attractive place to be right now is it they've got a lot of unhappy players unhappy fans so um, yeah bring on the Midlands talent to to Villa (laughs) absolutely Um, so now I'm going to kind of run through the final day. So obviously there'll be a lot of discussion about the other games as well as Villa's game. Uh, Villa faced their final test of the Women's Super League season with Arsenal standing between them and a confirmed safety in the league. Elsewhere, Birmingham City women and Bristol City women were also battling to not be the side to be relegated into the FA Women's Championship. Within seven minutes in the Brighton and Bristol game, Brighton had the lead with Maya Letizia. I, I have no idea if she's got any relation <laughs> to the, the Southampton legend, but uh, it'd be great if she did. Um, she scored in the seventh minute, and as it stood, Bristol would be relegated regardless of the result in the Aston Villa women game. How good was it to hear that Bristol City had conceded early on? Big relief, wasn't it? Um couldn't get too ahead of ourselves but did feel good to know that things were going in our direction from the off um it took a bit of pressure off our game as well um Arsenal being such a strong side I think we definitely had the most difficult fixture out of the three relegation candidates um and you know with with Viv as well Miedemar she I think she was pushing for golden boot as well and a couple of goals in our game would have secured that for her so I was just terrified of her um but yeah, it was it was nice to have that sort of cushion of Bristol being behind. Um, I think there was an interview I, I saw. It's kind of relevant. Um, Chelsea manager, um, she was saying that she didn't want to be waiting in a dressing room, relying on other teams to lose. And I really like that mentality. That is what I wanted to go with. But I know you just you can't help it, can you? Um, you want Bristol City to lose just so that you can relax 
Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a relief for me. <laughs> and me too. I, I have just done a quick Google while you were talking. My Letitia is not related to Matt Letitia. Um, but, yeah, you know, uh, Miedemar was, wasn't... Um, having the best time in front of goal shall we say I think she had quite a poor game uh, overall but Arsenal as expected started the better side and dominated possession in the opening 20 minutes and really for the vast majority of the game uh, Lisa Voice was forced into a point blank save to deny Miedema and keep the scores level early on but Stina Larson at the other end of the pitch had led the line incredibly well for Villa women you know the Danish international was performing well covering every blade of grass for the villains and the two sides were going level at the break you know Aston Villa women producing a resolute defensive performance in the first half to keep Arsenal at bay despite their almost 75% possession and you know in the other two games at half time Bristol City continue, continued to trail against Brighton whilst Blues were drawing with Spurs. Um, in the second half, Brighton put safety further out of reach of Bristol City early on into the second half, grabbing another goal in the 52nd minute. However, 10 minutes later, Abby Harrison brought a goal back for the bottom side to give them just an inkling of hope on the final day. Now, Bristol City would need a win against Brighton to overtake Aston Villa as their goal difference was far worse. Um, but, you know, this was actually, you know, something to keep an eye on as the games progressed, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I didn't fully trust Brighton, to be honest. Um, they were our first win of the season um, and they didn't have too much to play for now. Um, they were they were safe, they were comfortable, not fighting for anything. Um, I guess it was just another game for them. Um, and then with Bristol coming back against us not so long ago, um, you know, the, the doubts do start to creep in, don't they? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but... You know, as I mentioned, it was poor finishing that was was costing Arsenal. You know, Miedemar wasn't wasn't on the best form that day, and you know, Arsenal was still unable to turn any of their attempts towards goal. Really, um, Birmingham City would concede in the final fifteen minutes, meaning Aston Villa would go above their local rivals should they keep the scores level against Arsenal. You know, the the effort that was being put in by Aston Villa women was so clear to see. You know, there was um, there was a period uh, about twelve minutes before the end of the ninety, I think, uh, and Nat Haig received some treatment for a head injury, and just so many of Aston Villa's players kind of dropped to the floor, dropped into a, like a crouching position, and it just showed their exhaustion. They had battled so hard in this game, and it was a real kind of underdog, resolute defensive performance. Um, and you know, as as the games edged towards the final whistle, Brighton would score another against Bristol at around this time, um, and you know that all but confirmed Villa's safety, regardless of whether Arsenal would score or not. And Villa women really did everything that was asked of them. You know, it was such a resilient performance that, as I said, that would have kept them up regardless of Bristol's result. Um, you know how great is it to say that that Villa women have stayed up on the first time of asking? You know, is it now time to truly invest in the side to ensure they're not involved in another scrap this uh, this upcoming season? Yeah, it's it's really important. That's that was the goal for me the whole time was just to survive the first season. I always said I was happy with that, and then we can build from there. Um, I think it was 
really hard being the only promoted team that's just how the super league works um and the lack of experience really shows i think um so yeah it's time to invest in a couple of strong signings hopefully we've got the league status now to attract some talent um we lost our top goal scorer from last season um you know there's some switch ups in the management and stuff so i think next season is the time for us to really settle down um maybe our starting 11 starts to pick itself um, we'll have a manager that remains our manager for the whole season um, and yeah and also to develop the talent we've already got so um, like we've mentioned there's a lot of parallels to the journey that the men's team have been on and one thing I'm hoping to see again will be our existing players stepping up a level in their second top flight season with the experience that the confidence of staying up and some additional players thrown into the mix we could really see some improvements across the whole team. Absolutely. And, you know, whilst investment's needed, investment doesn't always mean success, does it? You know, West Ham were a side who brought in a number of talents and some of them, in, you know, international stars uh, during the last summer. And they found themselves around the bottom end this season. Yeah, you've got to do it right, haven't you? Um, and I think I trust our club, um, you know, and, and their direction they want to take us in. Um, Iwabuchi was was a great sign and I think, um, you know, hopefully she'll be able to flourish a bit more if she stays with us next season. Um, If we sort of build the team around her a bit more and, you know, have the room for a flair player to do what she does. Um, And and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of Iwabuchi, there's uh, there's rumours that she might be off to Arsenal, which is a, a bit of a gut-wrenching kind of piece to read. I know, I saw that. I'm not having it. <laughs> not accepting that just yet. I'd hope that, uh, you know, Perslow and Aluko can do enough to keep her around, but, you know, they're, they're a much bigger side and they've got a big pull. Um, and, and she has no kind of... Uh, what's the word like? She actually needs to have no loyalty to Villa. Really, she's not, you know, a player that's come through the RTC. She's she's been there six months, um, so I wouldn't blame her if she did move to Arsenal. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess it depends what drew her to Villa in the first place, and if even if that attraction is is still there. Um, yeah, hopefully we get another season out of her. Um, if we can you know sell her the dream sell her the vision that we all the fans have and the club has then maybe she'll stick with us you know she could be the star um yeah we'll we'll see anyway fingers crossed yeah i mean if she doesn't we'll we'll always have that wonder goal against spurs to remember a boy oh yeah Um, So following Villa Women's escape from the jaws of relegation, Monday saw Marcus Bignot leave his role as interim manager, which generally was expected. And then shortly after, the shock news that head coach Gemma Davies and her assistant manager Jenny Sugarman were leaving their roles. Um, You know, that, that shocked the entire fan base, really. A lot of people were questioning it on Twitter. Um, and according to The Athletic, uh, Gemma Davies was sacked and they understand that Villa felt that Davies had underperformed and continued to pursue a style of play that was unrealistic in light of Villa's league positions and the players available. You know, the the fact that it may have been a sacking comes a bit as a, as a bit of a shock. It's understandable with the reasons provided, I suppose, but you know, she's she's a young manager with swathes of passion a lot to learn. Um and you know you can just see with all the players and staff members that have just kind of 
given her messages of endearment on Twitter since the news came out. You know, it, she was obviously well liked, well respected. It's it's a bit disappointing, I suppose. Yeah, I'm really disappointed personally. I don't think half a season in the WSL is long enough to make a judgment. Um, I also don't think it's beneficial for the team and the players to swap someone out so quickly, especially someone that had been so successful in the championship. She got so much out of a lot of the players we still have. Um, And like you mentioned, the stuff on Twitter, the players, they they seem seriously heartbroken that she's gone. Um, Someone I saw uh, just before we started this, actually, Jodie Hutton did a really touching tweet about how Um, after losing her own mother Gemma had become sort of like a maternal figure for her Um, which is just I couldn't imagine reading something like that as a manager like you know she'd just gone above and beyond for a lot of the players Um, and you know moving to a new league having lost a lot of players we've got a new squad I don't know whether we needed to add a new manager into the mix of all that, even though, you know, obviously it, it sort of worked in the end. We did survive. Um, I'm not sure we won a game um, under Big Knot. Um, and I was always under the impression that him as interim manager would hopefully be, hopefully be teaching Gemma, um, being sort of a mentor for her to, to resume her role when he left at the end of the season, you know, once we'd survived. Um, but I guess the club just has bigger ambitions than than what they think Gemma can achieve, which is sad to hear. But also you you have to respect um, you know their vision, I suppose. Um, I just would have liked to see a bit more trust in her because um, I think she'll go on to be a great manager. Yeah, I I believe we won one game on, under Big Knot and that was the the Spurs game with Uabuchi's wonder goal. Um but you know, I think one win and four draws in three, five, seven, eight <laughs> in ten <laughs> games. Yeah, I was just counting down the fixture list. Um so one win, four draws, six defeats in ten games on the big knot. Um, you know, it could be a lot better, but it's not it's not the worst. Um but yeah, you know, Davies um it is it is quite disappointing and I think I think um It's hard, isn't I it? Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't blame her. her. Yeah, I think everyone does, but I don't I don't blame you know I don't blame the club because the club's a results-based game. Um, it's a results business. You know, you need to you need to achieve things, otherwise you're going to remain stagnant. And that is something Villa women don't want to do. They want to be at the forefront of you know UK women's football. Um, and if they don't believe that Gemma is the person to take them there, then then fair enough. But you know, I don't think she's been treated overly fairly. Um, you know, she unbeaten season in the in the championship, um, and then replaced after six months by Big Knot, and expected to kind of sit around as a as a backup head coach almost. Um, and you know, there was a piece in the in the Athletic as well saying that there, there was a feeling at the club that Gemma Davis did not react well to a well intentioned decision by the CEO to keep her at the club when Big Knot arrived in January. So to me. That sounds like Christian Perslow had said we need to make a change to Aluko 
do you have anyone in mind? And she said, hmm, what about Marcus Bignati coached me when I was at, when I was at Birmingham City? Um, and, you know, it went from there. And, and I think Christian Perslow kind of almost went, Gemma, you learn from him. Um, you know, this is this, these are my intentions and we'll review your role at the end of the season. Um, and I think she's probably turned around and gone, you know, I'm not having any of that. Um, and I think I think the relationship's been pretty fractured probably since that happened. And I don't think Gemma or the club had any other choice but to part ways, I suppose. Yeah, you might be right. I mean, I don't blame her for reacting poorly to that decision. Um, it must be really hard watching someone else manage the team that you brought into this league. Um, and like you said, just having to sit back and sort of watch it happen. Um, I imagine it's very patronising to be put in that position um, and I guess we'll have to see what they have in mind for the future. Um, do you think they have a manager lined up to replace her? Uh, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, I, I believe, you know, judging by the, the reactions of the players, you, you've got to think it's got to be a huge step up. For them to, for them to announce that she'd, left or you know for, for them to sack her the day after we've stayed up and obviously obviously uh, a lot of people probably presume that big not would take the role permanently um but obviously he has um he has other jobs you know in non-league football in i think he's a, a an advisor for a, a lower league club as well um and you know i mean there are a few people um apparently several officials and Eniola Raluco herself was surprised at the timing of um, of Gemma sacking. Um, so I, it's Perslow, I believe, and I, I hope he's got some something big lined up. Um, you know, I you know I don't think we see someone from the men's game, which is where all his contacts are. Um, so I, you know, I can't think of any managers that are without a club in the women's game that would consider to come to Villa or be a good fit. So, you know, we'll we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um so yeah, Villa's point against Arsenal was the only um the only point that any of the bottom five uh WSL clubs have collected against a top four team this season, which is a, a big achievement in itself. Um yeah, it's great, isn't it? Um, but you know, and that point ensured they avoided the drop, finishing three points above the relegation zone and one point of eleventh place to Birmingham City. Um, and you know, we've we've touched on this already, but where do you think Villa women need to strengthen this summer? You know, for me, that they certainly need an out-and-out goal scorer, something the side have lacked this season. I think. Um, you know, are, are there any names that spring to mind? Um, yeah, so I agree with you completely. We need goals. We need them from somewhere. And we need them from someone reliable, I think, because uh, this season that's just gone, we've sort of collected goals from, you know, the odd player here and there. Um, but there's no one we could really rely on. You know, there's no one you could put a bet on, is there? So, um, yeah, I'm not saying that we could get someone like her, but someone like Lauren James to spice up our midfield I would love um, she's got a great goal scoring record in both the championship and the Super League for United um, she's sort of 
fallen out of the squad a little bit due to injury this season, missing out on England as well. Um, I have heard rumours she's she's looking elsewhere. I think Chelsea might have their eye on her. So obviously she's a bit out of our reach, but I'd love someone that's that style of player, you know, a midfielder that's hungry for goals. Um, And then forwards, I can't help but look at Katie Wilkinson um, in the Championship, who used to play for us a long time ago but her time at Villa was kind of ruined by injury um, but since then she's played for London Bees and she's currently at Sheffield United where she's torn up the league again with her goals another golden boot for her um, and you know Sheffield United I think they finished fourth in the champion this, championship this season so you know we could do with a player like her in the Super League and I'm not sure if they're going to get her here so maybe it's time for her to come back um who knows i bet loads of people have got their eye on her as well so um yeah what about you have you got your eye on anyone uh, i think for me we we have such a kind of international team already um with the likes of Stina Larson and uh Diana Silva joining in the summer um obviously um Caroline Seams and uh Lisa Voice as well but i think it's time to bring another german in um, make it a, a nice German core in 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 Aston Villa women, and and I've been looking at Laura Freigang. Um, I don't know how realistic it is. I think it'd be it'd be a decently sized chunk of money to uh, to try and bring her from uh, Eintracht Frankfurt in the Frauen Bundesliga. Um, but she's twenty three. Um, German international. She's got experience of playing in America. Um, whilst at university, she was at university team. Um, but she has fifty nine appearances for Frankfurt and forty one goals. Uh, seven goals in six appearances for the German national team. She's a real kind of fox in the box kind of striker, and it it's exactly the kind of player we need. I think someone that can kind of uh, you know dart behind high lines and have the strength and pace to kind of you know, take on defenders. And I think, you know, she would be the kind of perfect answer in an ideal world, but I just don't know how realistic it is. Well, you've got a dream big, haven't you? Um, I'm sure they're keeping an eye on all the different leagues, actually. Um, So, you know, maybe they'll pull out a a diamond in the rough from somewhere else, as well as the the statement signing that we all want to see. Yeah, and I mean, it also depends on the new manager. You know, if it's someone that that's a big name someone with a lot of pull then who knows yeah who knows and the Super League's getting more and more pull every year isn't it we've talked about that previously it's becoming an attractive place for female players to play so um, our status will just make us even more attractive and it's nice to be able to say that yeah and I mean that's a perfect segue into our kind of uh, final point of the podcast um you know we, we've said how great it is that villa women remain in the in the women's super league this year um but with a new tv deal coming into effect from the start of next season you know it, I, I can't remember how much it's worth but it's it's a lot more money than you know games like games on bt were were paying i think um the vast majority of um games across the season i think 35 um will be shown on sky sports you know over three years multi-million pound deal um you know do do you really want to explain what 
this could mean to Villa women going forward, as well as the wider WSL? I know, I know, you've been working on an article to go out soon about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's really exciting news. Um, you know, so many people across the game have have sort of pointed this out to be a landmark in women's football, and um, you know, it was quite an emotional day for a lot of the sort of legends of the game. Um, so yeah, you're right. Sky Sports they've said they'll show at least 35 women's Super League games per season, um, a three-year, multi-million pound deal. So means more money pumped into the game. Uh, some of that will go into central stuff like refereeing, um, things like that, training, um, and then the remainder is split between the women's Super League and Championship clubs. So 75% to 25%. So you know we'll see a bit of that trickle down. Um, which is always nice and the FA have also said that there will be support given to those clubs needing improvements to facilities to meet TV requirements because um, that is a really big thing that's sort of been in the, the news this past year um, the grounds, the stadiums that female players are having to put up with um, we've seen a lot of our games um, at Villa postponed due to frozen pitches, things like that um, and I just don't think we would, would see that, um, you know, in if it was on TV, um, if it was on Sky Sports, uh, they, they wouldn't allow the, the pitch to freeze overnight and just postpone the whole game. I'd like to think not anyway. Um, but yeah, it's not just the money. It's also the exposure, which I think will be amazing for the women's game. Um, the BBC will, will have rights to more of the games. Um, they will have the rights to show 18 of them. Um, which is amazing because obviously not everyone has Sky Sports and there is a bit of a um, accessibility issue there. But um, yeah, BBC will have a lot of them, um, more money as well. So yeah, a bit of everything really. Good news all round for everyone involved, I think. Well, it's uh, it's happy and good news all round then, I suppose. Um and you know it it will grow the women's game to have it you know free to air on the BBC, um, you know, or, or I guess pay per view on Sky Sports, um, and you know it, it is only good news. Perhaps this summer we'll see the uh, world record transfer broken again. Um, I know last summer it was uh, Penilla Harder mm. that moved to Chelsea, and you know you you look at. Is it Neymar that has the men's transfer record? Um, and it's you know hundreds of millions, and you yeah, look what at. Yeah, harder? Is she like two hundred fifty thousand or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> somewhere between two hundred fifty and two hundred seventy-five thousand, and you know the comparison in world record transfer fees is is laughable, really. So hopefully, over a, a period of let's say over the next decade, we'll start seeing uh, women's players going for millions. Um, but maybe not too much. We don't want the game to kind of fall into disrepute. <laughs> yeah, of course. And there's something nice about the fact that the the women's game, it's got that community feel to it. And hopefully that will continue on as the game, you know, grows. Um, the players, they'll, they'll talk to you after the game, things like that. It's got a really nice atmosphere to it. So let's have the best of both worlds in the women's game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that, like you said, that community feel is, is something that makes women's football so special. Um, so I hope when um, fans are allowed back in stadiums, if Villa remain at the Banksy Stadium next season, you head down to Warsaw and uh, give them a go, give them a watch. It's in, even, even more so when they're playing at Villa Park. 
you know i've been to i've been to a few games and um you know when i was there um with a media pass it was literally like just emma follis's like mom and nan stood there wearing Follis shirts and kind of chatting to people and then Kel Roos the Derby County goalkeeper who is um in a relationship with Nadine Hansen just came over and started chatting to them and you know it's such a nice family feel and it is really enjoyable day and I know a lot of uh, a lot of fans have been starting to take their children and things like that but yeah if you do get the opportunity please do go and support them um when the stadiums do reopen because I'm sure they would appreciate it yeah, absolutely. We'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, we will. And I think that's probably the best place to end this week's podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please leave a review either on social media or on whatever platform that you're listening on. Um, you can follow us on social media on Facebook, forward slash under a gaslit lamp, on Twitter, at Villa Lamp, and on Instagram, at under a gaslit lamp. Thanks for listening, guys, and up the Villa women. Back in the Super League for another year. They arrived as Aztecs, an Aston Villa women podcast by underagaslitlamp.com.